0: Hi, I'm Tom Hartridge, and this is Neurons to Nirvana. Neurons to Nirvana is a podcast celebrating the creative minds of people from all walks of life who tell their stories of triumph over trials and tribulations through all mediums, forms, and expressions of consciousness. Hey, so I'm extremely grateful and thrilled and excited for the fact that I have here, I'm sitting in Ike Subblefield's house or uh, home studio. He is, of course, world renowned for playing the Hammond B3 organ and also keys. But the reason why I reached out to him personally and something that I'm passionate about concerning a lot of bands that I love and have seen throughout the years is uh, Ike's heavy involvement in the jam band scene. For instance, I first saw you, Ike, personally in 2013 when you came out and played with Widespread Panic at uh, UNO Lakefront during their Halloween run. And you came out and played Stop Breaking Down, which is... a obviously a robert johnson old blues song to in right into life during wartime which is completely opposite form of music and the, i bring that up because i think uh, that's an epitome that sort of epitomizes how your career and the types of and genres of, of music that you've been involved with would you not agree that you've
1: well yeah i've been at it quite a while and it's it's all about ingredients to me and in, in uh, like cooking <laughs> i use that a lot right and in most cases i probably haven't heard any of the material before you know learn it as i go <laughs> well, the process is like don't play it's what you don't play right which is what's important like you said i've been at it for a long time so all kinds of genres of music so it's always fun and a challenge to be aware of what's going on around you and be a part of it at the same time so it's it's always fun
0: so we're here at your home studio in atlanta georgia yeah and (laughs) regarding the jam band scene Tell us sort of how that came about when, I guess you had stated, right, when you you moved here, correct?
1: Well, uh, I moved here the last part of 1999 and went right to work at a place called the Cafe 290 in, in Sandy Springs. And had a once-a-month thing there with the organ trio. And within the first couple of weeks, uh, Jeff Sleip actually uh, popped in and sat in and played. Of course, we clicked straight away and Major magic happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> Actually, the next time he came out, brought Colin Butu with him. Uh, of course, that was magical as well. And then I think Colonel Bruce was playing over at the Roxy in Buckhead uh, doing a show. So Jeff wanted me to, to meet uh, Bruce. So I met them over there at sound check. As soon as I walked up to Bruce, we both said at the same time, "God." <laughs> <laughs> and uh that kind of started it was it's like i've known bruce all my life (laughs) right but uh he was trying to guess my birthday and all this and he didn't get one thing right (laughs) and he was a little shocked at that and i said well you know uh, and he he did the same thing at the same time we're "We're from the same planet (laughs) yeah
0: well my personal opinion from seeing him on stage and coming across and meeting him briefly once is he's, I don't think he's from this planet. He was such an extraordinary uh, individual his stage presence. Oh yeah. 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 Ability and, and all the musicians that he, he brought together over the years. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah, extensive yeah. list of just really talented artists.
1: Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Seip once said to me, uh, if you get fired from Bruce Hampton, then you know, you made it. <sighs> If you get fired? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, meaning, basically, yeah, he, he would take people in, uh, a musician, talented. The name, names go on and on, all the people he's, he's uh, helped get focused. And I think that he felt like uh, he was ready for the next person, you know, when he knew that you you had it, you got, right. it, you got it. Or, you know, just in general, developing your own talent and, and, and uh, knowing how to be creative and it's also the business side of being on time and all things like that. So he, he really gave a lot of uh, positive energy on being free to be creative. And once he felt you had that, then he, but, you know, let you go.
0: <laughs> right, moved on, mm-hmm. moved on, yeah. mentored another.
1: And you know, I'm basically the same, uh, but in a different way, because uh, you know, I'm. We both come from a. Uh, old school sort of, uh, concept of knowing how to work together and, and, uh, and some people just don't get that naturally. I mean, this business is not for everybody. Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of people enjoy it and they want to get into it, but it's just like any other professional job or creating a product, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it takes a lot of work and, and integrity and stuff like that that's t- attached to it. And A lot of people just think it's a, you know, fun party. You know, if you have a drink of Jack Daniels in your office job, you wouldn't be there very long.
0: No, typically not. Unless (laughs) it's the era era of the 50s or something.
1: Right. But in any event, uh, Bruce was really good with creating, putting real good talent together. Yeah.
0: So what was his work? Speaking of his work ethic, what was his work ethic like, so to speak?
1: I don't think he really had one. Right. (laughs) I didn't (laughs) think so. It was whatever, you know. He
0: just, it was all whatever felt. uh,
1: uh, Yeah, uh, adapt to whatever situation, which is like, that's why we got along so well, because I did the same thing, basically. Every every song's going to be different, and uh, he liked being outside the box, just like I do. Yep. You can't really explain things like that. (laughs) Right. Because everything's going to be different. There's no such thing as uh, a set rule. Right. You know? And I think that's what he was really good at with musicians, younger musicians, musicians in general, actually. You know, uh, he got excited because it was something outside the box.
0: Uh, was he like that behind the scenes, backstage, one on one? Would he say those colorful comments throughout his conversation and uh, uh, sound bites, so to speak? He
1: was just Bruce. He right. Never, you know, uh, I mean, there was knowledge about everything he said, and you know, very galactic intellect, right? So it's you know, you, you can't really explain. It. You know, uh, if you could, then it'd be normal. Yeah, you know, certainly it was not normal.
0: And w- when uh, you obviously you had told me that you were there for his seventieth. Birthday celebration, correct?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I was there uh, all day that day and performed with everybody that was there. And we were doing the the encore set was about to start, and we <coughs> were doing the after party at Terminal West, right? So, uh, uh, basically, during the whole sh- show at the Fox, <coughs> I noticed Bruce was not—he uh, was overheating and looked like he was. Out of breath and a little tired. And and the place was packed with friends and family and and musicians. And he turned to me and said, you know, I can't top this. (laughs) I said, oh, I used to call him B. Right. Uh, I said, well, B, you need some water or, you know, just because you're supposed to come up on the next song you know you don't have to you're not feeling well you know he's sweating and stuff like that and getting toward the encore set i i said b i'm not gonna i better get over to the terminal west because folks are already coming in over there and uh i want to make sure everything starts on time there and i'll see you over there and he basically said uh good because i I don't want you here on this well, I said anyway.
0: He did say that? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, but you know, we were really close. Right. So we had our own communication picture, Sure. And so I basically said, okay, I'll see you over there. And I uh, got over to Terminal West. And basically, uh, the band was just getting a little sound check. And the doors were open. Uh, people coming in. Uh, and we played the first song. I had my phone set up on the organ. and had it on so I could get uh, updates. about what's was going something from Right, right here. And after the third song, I looked down at my phone, I see a text from Warren Haynes. And he said, Bruce fell on stage. we am not sure what's going on. I'll let you know. And of course, I walked off stage and kind of looked at it and tried to text him back, and I didn't get a response. So I played the next song, and then I looked down on my phone. It was from um, Derek Trucks' manager. Oh, wow. Uh, Blake, and he uh, said, Bruce is gone. And so I I basically went back up, didn't tell anybody what was going on, because once he did that, everything would have been over. So we did what we were supposed to do, just keep playing. Eventually looked out in the audience and everybody was getting their phones out and and getting texts right. And then I just said, okay, well, thanks for coming out. Well, we're gonna take a short break. We'll be back, that sort of thing. And then I told the band and of course nobody believed it and, sure uh, and then they could see it was real because everybody was on cell phones and that was uh and jazz fest was going on down in new orleans and i i went down uh, i think that was on a tuesday i went down uh the next day actually wednesday talked to jeff siphon those guys were playing at when i jacks i was had a free day that day i was right. much starting my show on thursday <clears throat> So I went over just to see everybody. Warren was there and uh, Jeff Slap, Altiel, Berberich, and, and Co- hey, Kofi. Come,
0: right, he played with them uh, with the aquarium rescue unit. You know? uh,
1: yeah, Kofi was there, uh, let's see who else, uh, the guy from uh, Snarky Puppy, uh, drumming play- percussionist, Rasno was there. And we all went up and played a set. But I, I put Warren and, and Jeff Seif aside because I knew they were real close with Bruce. Especially Jeff and and also Dwayne Trucks was there too, and I pulled all three aside and said, "Look, Bruce is still with us. Let's, you know, they're taking it pretty hard. Yeah, and uh, uh, let's just go out and do what we do." So it was it was a great set.
0: I yeah I, I didn't I was unfortunately I didn't get to see his seventieth birthday uh, celebration with everyone there, but uh, I heard it was an amazing show. No, it was
1: totally amazing. Yeah.
0: But obviously, bittersweet. Now, I've certainly heard others say that... Well,
1: for for me, Bruce is not gone. I talked to him the other day.
0: (laughs) He still reaches out to you, isn't
1: Uh, And vice versa, yeah. Yeah, We had that connection.
0: Yeah, I mean, I heard he has that type of spirituality or, or being, so to speak, always present.
1: And you know when I first met Bruce, we we uh, I joined the Co, Co- Talkers for about a, almost a year. I think Bruce was living in Pensacola then, and that was with uh, Bobby Lee Rogers and, and uh, Ted Pickett. and and drummer moved to Na- Nashville. Uh, uh, and during that time, we we played a lot of festivals. and
0: Master Clemens yeah,
1: uh, sat down with bluegrass and.
0: We played with Jerry Garcia and Old In the Way.
1: Right. Uh, who else was on some of those? Uh, Jeff Mosier played with him <coughs> quite a bit. But I met all these people through Bruce and Jeff's side. Right. So, so <clears throat> the jam band scene was the jam band scene was pretty mm-hmm. open arms to me. Then did start going down to New Orleans quite a bit. Right. And it's a whole different scene there with uh, Galactic and all those folks. And,
0: Have you uh, played with them before? Uh, oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I did Jam Cruise a couple times.
0: Last thing I wanted to ask about current, the Colonel, Colonel Bruce Hampton, is uh, a lot of people think that he knew that he was gonna, you know, that was gonna be his last hurrah, so to speak. Did you ever get that sense of that?
1: Well, no, because like I said, he still lives on with me. So, of course. Uh, <clears throat> but he he was giving me some signs that I mean, I I talked to him every other day, you know, for years, right. I was saying, Bruce, you need to slow down a little bit, which, you know, uh, we all do that when we're working, like, we just, you know, the show must go on sort of thing, and he, Bruce, I'm 66, I think Bruce was, even just turned 70 then, right? Yep. And I was 65, so, <clears throat> so I know what it feels like for me <laughs> 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 when, when uh, you're touring a lot, and that's why I don't tour a lot, as well. I right. right. got, <clears throat> got all my looks in late 60s and 70s i'm
0: yeah. sure it took a toll or it was very <clears throat> g- grueling
1: well yeah it was a little easier then because i was younger but i also at a young age learned how to be creative in different you know stuff like film scores and putting songs in movies and go around the globe speaking at universities about you know Music and having B3 organs and things like that. So I really never enjoyed playing out live, even as a kid. Really? Because every, why? I don't know. It was just one of those things that it was natural for me to play. Uh, that's why when people see me, I'm not like jumping, all, I'm not <laughs> all that excited to be, you know, uh, I don't look like I'm a performer. Right. Yeah, I just focus into into my zone, zone, and I'm totally focused. Right. I mean, I don't have to. You don't look out at the stage? I I don't look at the musicians because I can feel them.
0: Oh wow! It's yeah. all intuitive. Yeah,
1: unless they need help with a cue or something like that, right? Because I can feel that as well. Yeah, you know, my whole thing is like shapes and colors. I don't know any chords. Uh, C major chord. I don't know where it is unless I hear So heard,
0: you don't know how to read music? I uh,
1: totally not. I never did at three, only by ear. And well, you
0: certainly couldn't tell. <laughs>
1: Well, tell what do you mean?
0: Like I'm just saying, I've, as talented as you are, what you're going, talking about is it's all instinctive, intuitive ability, colors and sounds, yeah, as but, opposed to this regimented. But we all like, have, looking at notes on a paper. But that
1: we all we all have that t- talent,
0: right? To do that,
1: it's just a matter of being aware of it and the fear factor of not knowing, right? As all your worst enemies of, of being able to do anything, sure. So, uh, and actually I teach that with music uh, ear training. A lot of cats come to me, and girls come to me uh, wanting to get outside the box and just playing the same scales. Sure. Playing, uh, in most cases, it's the fear factor of making mistakes or, or being in a comfort zone. Right. You know, because you're thinking. And music's not about thinking, it's about feel. Yeah, and there's no the right way to do it or wrong way. Everybody's going to feel differently, so they're going to sound differently. Right. But when you think like reading, anybody can learn how to read music. Sure. They play exactly what they read. And a few can can put the feeling in, and some can't. But the feeling of those notes all have their natural feel to it playing it softer or this and that but it's everybody's feels going to be different
0: yeah so going to your point you don't need to look out at the crowd like you can stay hyper focused and still have a sense of what's going to go on with the other yeah kind of sense folks on stage playing with you
1: i can sense the audience vibe of what's working right and and how to you know kind of make it fun yeah i don't put, put that much energy into uh Trying to do one thing or another—it's it, uh, just a matter of uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and uh, you know, you, you can't try to please anybody, you know, uh, but you know that's impossible. But you know, if it feels, if it has a feel to it that people can relate to, they will relate to it.
0: That's generally you know, when it <laughs> works or best.
1: I mean, I, I've played a song or a show and very little response of like dancing or facial expressions sure. or, you know, when I do, you know, and at the end of that, they have like tons of like, wow. You know? Yeah. But that's all, you know, it's, that's kind of the basis of, of what I said about uh, when I first started, it's kind of, um, I always had to go to the bathroom when I was on stage. I'd go 20 times. Oh, really? <laughs> Was then, it nerves
0: or why why do you think that was the case
1: well I don't think it was nerves it was just that I didn't want I was always so focused on on my parts without thinking I mean that this is you know nothing has anything to do with thinking for sure. me. it's 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 just adapting to the, the feel of what I'm not supposed to play or don't want don't hear that I should be playing or doesn't need something right Uh you know, and this is when I first started, back in the day, uh, but I mean, I got that whole science down now, so it's I can go right on stage with just about anybody, It doesn't matter what style of music, and know what not to do, and learn the, the color and shape.
0: Yep. And then going back to, it doesn't matter if you see people not even bob- bobbing their head or, or dancing, it still could be a great show. I mean, if people aren't dancing heavily, at, per se, like a jam band, like Widespread Panic, then you might wonder but for instance one of the bands that you played a lot with government mule you know there's not a lot of dancing per se there but
1: oh no that's one of my best bands that's i really one of my enjoy. favorite bands <laughs> one of my yeah favorite bands as well don't get me wrong about you know audiences not responding and yeah i mean they're always dancing yeah right you don't have to to move to dance you know, playing with those guys i mean everybody's there to see those guys yeah but when I do a guest spot with him, it, it, uh, I'm one of those guys, because that's what I'm hearing. Right. Know? Don't know any titles. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> it's funny uh, you know, I get my marching orders from like Warren, and he say, well, why don't you come up on the Encore song? I want you to come on on this song. And he even knows now that he doesn't even tell me the name of the song. He does not tell you? No, because uh, I, I put my fingers in my ear. Okay. Cause- I, I don't, don't want to know.
0: I can tell you the last time I saw you, uh, I live in Austin, Texas, where I live now, uh, when you came on stage at the Moody Theater. I can tell you what you played. You played, I believe, To My Soul, Ray Charles, Stratus, Uh, Jesus Just Left Chicago, ZZ Top, of course, and Get Behind the Mule, Tom Waits, which are all totally kind of different types of songs in a a way. Uh, Well,
1: for me, they're just totally different shapes and colors.
0: So you don't, I mean, for you personally, it really didn't matter. Like, you could just, you don't need to know what the song is. That's amazing to me, personally. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Because uh, not a lot of people have that ab- ability. Uh, you know, it, it may come at ease for you, but I, I just think it's a very gift.
1: Well, everybody's cool different. Gift. Everybody's different. And yeah, it, it is It is a gift, I, uh, I believe. But I just don't think about it. It's just...
0: Second nature. Yeah, second
1: nature. <laughs>
0: right. So... <clears throat> <laughs>
1: what? No, nothing,
0: just... No. Ew. What's ew?
1: Uh, it's... it's uh, Different language from a different
0: galaxy. Aliens. Yeah. Kind of. Is, is, is yeah. that what you say to Colonel Bruce?
1: Uh, what? <laughs> that <laughs> kind of stuff? Yeah, I don't know.
0: I don't know it, so I might need a translator.
1: Yeah, me too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who were some of your main influences growing up in regards to music?
1: I listened to a lot of classical stuff as a infant. A lot of big band jazz because my mom was a used to be a trumpet player in a big band in Chicago
0: right a lot of
1: Beethoven and Bach and choral music stuff like that jazz Motown was right next to us so in Toledo Detroit's not uh, like an hour away I think you know I, I think that's probably why I, I kind of enjoy listening to all kinds of music right uh, because I was brought up around it and you know I would even in classical music, I would always hear something different the second time I listened to it, and the third time, fourth, you know, every time I hit, heard something, I, I created uh, a feel of structure, of patterns. It was like a game to me, to just basically just kind of organize it in my
0: head, what's... What's coming next? Or
1: uh, Yeah, the, the whole structure of it. Right. And I was able to duplicate it pretty easily. Naturally, just like when my older sister had her piano lesson, she was doing pretty good. She was at a pretty good level where she's playing uh, some uh, Beethoven and things like that. And I just, when she was done, i crawl up and play her lesson without even looking at the keyboard. Really? Yeah. Uh, so it was, for me, it was like, you know, saying, right. I can't play this, you are you, know, so kind of like, teasing her. Well, with it. it was like four, or three or four, so. And my folks kind of saw, especially my mom, she saw that I had a, a natural thing for structure and hearing stuff.
0: And that was at three years old? Yeah. Wow.
1: <clears throat> so my mom sent me to a, a music conservatory to, try to learn to read. Mm-hmm. And being a kid, I was kind of being a kid. I just took the teacher into playing it <laughs> and then sit down and play it. Like, I was looking at the music, but still playing it slow, like I was learning it by reading. Right. And then she'd turn her head, and I'd just play it, and, and turn my head. And, you're
0: uh, like you like, you're tricking her? Yeah. doing yeah, you know, a little prank?
1: And, yeah, and I, you know, I was just, you a know, kid, so I, sure. so I basically, <laughs> basically just went back to my mom and said, look, I don't want you to spend your money on this, you know, I'm, you know she, my mom knew exactly what I was doing.
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: She just wanted me to see if I was going to have her stop paying for it.
0: Oh wow, boys, yeah. Well, so yeah. what did she say to you when she finally figured it out?
1: Well, she always figured it out. She just right. wanted. To, I think it was more of an honesty thing. Okay, <laughs> makes sense. So I said, yeah, this is yeah you know, not working for me. And my dad had a major major construction company, and <clears throat> so being two boys out of seven kids, two sets of twins. Uh, five girls, two boys, and I'm the older of the twin boys, so uh, my dad kind of, <clears throat> and I was like still Jr., really, uh, he was thinking I would be taking over the family business at some point. Oh, wow. So he's trying to get me out there to basically... Uh, learn the trade. Learn the trade, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, fortunately he had a pretty, pretty big staff with him and stuff, so whatever he told me to do, like, you know, fill that wheelbarrow or... or do that, dig this, or whatever. I just turn around and tell uh, one of the workers that my dad said, do that, do that, do right. this, do that. Because uh, I had a brick hit my finger one time and I said, eh, wrong, eh, that's not gonna yeah, work. I'm not
0: gonna do this, <clears throat> not gonna work.
1: And, and my dad figured it out, too. And, uh, I said, just you know, go sit in the truck. Uh, you won't come, in, you know, come out anymore. <laughs> right. And then I got my first B3, Oregon when i was 12 and it's a whole story about that scenario because uh i was already playing in church when i was was 10 and playing drums actually i went on the road my first time was playing drums really some of my cousins paul stubblefield and and james and uh so i played drums for about five months with that my dad was like uh, now you're too young to be out here doing this and, <laughs> da, 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 da. and so uh after playing in church and then going up with Prince in detroit and seeing uh this place called um uh, baker's keyboard lounge and jimmy smith jack McDuff, all the org- major organ players right. at that time uh groove homes that uh were, were, you know uh I already kind of knew some of the musicians up there from, from family and friends and stuff like that. And, you know, of course, my cousin Clyde Stubblefield, original drummer with James Brown. He kind of pointed me in the right direction. But he was, uh, he was, uh that's all he knew was the James Brown thing, which is great. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but he didn't know about rock and roll or, anyth- you know, bluegrass or anything like that. You know, or jazz. Well, only knew about some jazz, but.
0: Right. Uh, it's not nearly very, as vast as what well, you've done.
1: Well, he's from a different era.
0: Sure, right. It's and, the '50s and early '60s, yeah, right? Yeah.
1: But I basically knew that I needed the B3. So uh, I'm coming from a big family, like I said, five girls and two boys. I wanted one for Christmas. And this was like, in, it was in April when I started pushing for one,
0: started making requests
1: uh yeah and because my birthday is june 7th so i, I kind of mentioned it going into that and they said there's no way we're going to spend that kind of money on just you when we got you know
0: so did you start picking a parent like would you go to your mom on the side and say uh, please well, please I please"?
1: mainly went to her because she was a musician sure originally and uh it had to be both of the choices so i i basically what i did was i well, um, I just started not, let's say I have my B3 by Christmas, I'm not talking until then. <laughs> so I gave him the silent
0: treatment from... You gave him an ultimatum, put your foot down, so to speak. Uh, uh,
1: basically, I just did not speak to him for six months, basically.
0: When you were 12? Yeah. Wow, that's hilarious. Uh, that's, that's, uh, I I just so. I,
1: they, they were laughing for the first week.
0: Yep. And uh,
1: the second week... They were very not happy, pissed off, because I was turning around to speak to my sisters or anybody else, but I just didn't talk to them.
0: Even, yeah, when they uh, would I, address I, you, you still wouldn't respond. No. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't imagine. I, I, they were extremely frustrated, uh, uh,
1: and well, I got a couple of whippings over that. Yeah. Back in those days you could do that. That was appropriate. Not uh, right, right. <laughs> or <laughs> but, acceptable, uh, I guess. But you know, after four months, and you know, I still they just ignore me. You know, they just you know because I, I still I might have slipped a couple times and said no. Or something like that. Uh, yes, I'm, no, just a real quick thing. Yeah, hey. a yeah, real quick thing. And at Christmas I had a B three in like Rush.
0: Nice. So you win. You won. I mean, well, <laughs> I, I
1: I did well they knew
0: uh, that I was real serious see. obviously yeah
1: and when I got it I immediately oh during that time uh, this is kind of the key thing that my on uh, my dad's uh, you know my dad right. really wasn't he wasn't quite convinced that I was really serious about it
0: why uh, do you I, think he thought that well because initially. I, tr- I
1: tried to hitchhike to, ca- to California
0: oh <laughs> What, uh, uh I to mean, do what? What were you gonna uh, hitchhike out there for? Just a different leave. life,
1: yeah. You know, At, well, how well, then, old were in you? San Francisco. Well, back then you could hitchhike everywhere,
0: so they just pick up a 12 year old, is what you're saying. Uh,
1: back in those days,
0: and you it was were, okay. And
1: well, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I got to the Ohio Turnpike, in, <laughs> and uh, uh, the patrol uh, folks there said, What are you doing out here? Because, I mean, I, I did it all the time around town or to Detroit which right. was only an hour drive but this was different you know turnpike you know. Sure. and so they called my dad he came to pick me up and he said you really want to do this and i wasn't talking at that that time and that's when i said yes
0: did you tell me you were going to California or did you just say no, yes well
1: i told the the, the patrol-
0: Oh, okay, person, so that's everything. how he
1: found out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I said, look, I'm not talking to my folks. I told the patrol. You gave him a heads up. Like, yeah, he's so, like, hey, so my dad's about he, to show I, up. I told the patrol guy exactly what my dad was going to ask. Right, and so I gave him. That's hilarious.
0: That's great. So he
1: was, he was, uh, <laughs> but he finally gave up. And uh, and then when I did go out, they kept me on an allowance uh, to make sure I was going to be okay until I was like 24. You know, of course, by then, you know, I've been all over. You were
0: already well was on, on the, the road. There. Yeah,
1: but I let them do that just, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just to, to make sure they really understood that I was not, uh, I'd be okay. Right. And then uh, I was living in San Francisco, uh, and I called my folks up and said, look, I need you to come out here. I'm, I bought you a ticket to fly out. It's on me. I flew them out first class to San Francisco. went over to pick them up. I left the top of Twin Peaks. and Nice. And they hadn't been up there. They were like shaking from just the, you know, the, the view. The, the beauty the of it, everything. Yeah. Right. And as uh, soon as they walked in, I gave them a check for all the money they they, they gave they, me over the years. Over the years? Yeah, nice. Everything. Yeah. That's amazing. That's I awesome. I track of it.
0: That's great. Yeah.
1: yeah. So that's one of my... Like okay, I'm okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to worry about me anymore, right. Mom and Dad.
1: Oh, they were hearing about me uh, over the years and stuff, you know. But uh, I just knew that at Keeping that point, tabs. yeah. Uh, you know, it's like a, a kid that graduates college and they turn around and pay all the money back you know, to right. the folks for. But I was fortunate enough to to be able to do that, and it's part of uh, paying my dues, right? As I say
0: you mentioned San Francisco. Uh, you having to play with Jerry Garcia.
1: Uh, I did a couple shows with, uh, when, when, uh, Mer- band. Mer- when most Sanders couldn't make it. Right. Jerry Garcia band. Yeah, That was, that was fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, back in those days, uh, there was a lot of bands that I kind of wouldn't sit in with. Uh, I know everybody out there, you know, from Beef, uh, from, uh, from Journey. Okay. Uh, Power of power! All those guys—Ezra, Mohawk.
0: You were there uh, roughly what what time well, well, in the '60s? I, well,
1: I first moved there for about a year uh, in '70, and then I went back home for a little bit because uh, just it was too overwhelming for me. <laughs> in what way? I don't. I, I don't. I'm not sure. It was just a lot of stuff going on. Uh, with, uh, the drug thing and you know,
0: the whole Haight-Ashbury thing. There's, that was yeah. definitely a lot of exce- you know, yeah, excessive. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: But I, I moved back in 70, uh, 78, uh, 79, and I just I stayed for like 10 years. That's when I did a lot of work with everybody out there. Um, Huey Lewis. <laughs> out in California? <laughs> in San Francisco. Wow. Well, they opened up for me and he and, opened up for you, yeah, Mill Valley. So, uh, yeah, a bunch of bunch of bands back then. Uh, it was it was fun. I did a lot of acid and a lot of pot.
0: Uh, <laughs> Who you did?
1: Well, back then that's what they did. Oh,
0: I mean, It was the scene yes, in '70. Yeah, but I was saying, did you or, or just oh, the people you were no. around? Oh, <laughs> well, you know,
1: in '71, I lived there. I mean, we wouldn't go on stage without windowpane acid. I mean, it was just a natural thing out there. Yeah. So uh, that kind of didn't, uh, I mean, I was actually fine with it. I was always in control. I didn't well, freak, yeah. I didn't freak out about, the, you know, how you hear about people that do all that stuff back then. You know, get psychedelic. And they stuff. become it, schizophrenic right, or all lose that. their
0: minds. Yeah. I'm sure it enhanced music for you. Yeah, I mean, I The way even, you felt I, on stage. When I
1: was living out there in the 70s, I, I'd fly back to Ohio to visit my family, and I, I'd pop one right before I walk in the house. And they didn't, <laughs> you know, they didn't even know I was still myself. You know? yep. So all that was uh, part of my training as well, as far as staying focused on what's real. And naturally, it was easy for me it's like a game just like you know it was playing the piano yeah Yeah. right Right. after your sister stopped playing right right Right,
0: right. yeah how many times do you think you did that where you just oh gosh right before you go home just drop some L. hey what's up mom dad
1: (laughs) well i had it and i didn't want to waste it so i just took it when i was home
0: and and,
1: uh yeah that was they said I was normal. That was fine.
0: And was this like the famous Owsley, you know, that you read and hear about the LSD that Owsley was making for the Grateful Dead and
1: all uh, that? Well, I knew all those characters. Cause, uh, you did? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, back then, we didn't have to pay for anything because everybody knew us, and we just want to be around us because of the scene that we created.
0: Yeah. So, did you know King uh, Kesey and the Mary Pranksters?
1: And- uh, I was around them a little bit, but I, you know, like I said, back in the 70s, I, it was so overwhelming. Right. Really different for me from being from Ohio. And coming from a, I won't say conservative family, but very uh, cautious. Sure. I, I got into everything but putting a needle on my arm, because uh, I knew that that. That
0: was point me. of no return. Yeah,
1: that, I mean, I I saw friends and, and musicians even before that like that that, that OD'd and all kinds of weird stuff, and that was totally not acceptable. But I did get my share of. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say that much of acid, but I mean, I did it. Um, well, yeah, I had a pretty good share of it, right? <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, everything was not overly done it was like natural sort of stuff like you know plastic and not a lot of stuff cut into things and whatever that used to be but i got over it i was never hooked on anything right uh, because i was you know i saw what that did to folks and i just didn't need to do that anymore after you know about a year of it it was boring sure I, i could go to that feeling without doing it right uh and so I let it go and never went back to it. And that's alcohol, too.
0: You don't drink? No, I haven't. When was yeah. the last time you have had a drink? Uh, alcohol or beer,
1: 40 years. Wow. Yeah. Because well, by then I was <clears throat> in a place where I, I had to make a decision at any given hour, uh, like a phone call, that it would affect myself or somebody i work with their, their career sure so i didn't want that responsibility about being able to think straight <laughs> to uh, uh and plus you know i was you probably uh, like uh, feeling uh, in
0: control to a degree well, right? and well, not I, acting I, like an ass
1: uh, well <laughs> well i never act like an ass
0: <laughs> well you know what i mean i'm just saying <laughs> it's totally being on lsd uh, is for what you're saying as far as creatively and and expanding your mind both musically and just intellectually is completely different than getting shit faced and then going yeah. and playing uh, is what i was kind of uh thinking. yeah
1: i didn't like the feeling the day after and you know it it's cloudy and it's called a hangover right right of course and, and uh yeah that had to go pretty quick that was yeah not working for me
0: <laughs> did you get caught up in the the disco era uh, as far as like cocaine did you uh, I was
1: I was around all of it, but by then I was totally over it. Right. I, mean, I used to do Studio Fifty Four and just have a soda. <laughs> really? But, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah.
0: were you the only person in Studio Fifty Four to having absolutely, like a soda? Absolutely,
1: absolutely.
0: I can imagine. I've, I mean, I've heard that that place was a total shit show. Oh uh,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Access to the nth degree. People just. Yeah, yeah. Were there people, you know, fucking next to you, right, or three right. oh, feet away? Yeah. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. It was, it was <laughs> everything they said it was, and probably more. Right. But you know, it was, uh, it was more political to be seen there, uh, it, and most people, my friends, stuff, knew
0: that. It, you know, it
1: wasn't. You were never into that. That wasn't yeah, your thing. That, no, no, yeah. I'm more private than yeah, and I think that's kind of what happened as far as when I started playing out in concerts and have to go to the bathroom or something right because i really didn't i don't want to say like i didn't want to be there but i i've seen i saw so many artists that just got so the caught more, up in it the more they got successful was just the their whole humanity just phew, was turned upside down and you know and just the pressure of being an artist the consistency of uh of having to stay on top of product yeah, to to be there, you know, was uh, something I didn't want to be involved with. It, I mean, music's attached to everything, everything, you know, everything that commercials, TV, movies, co- conference, it, you, you know, name you, it, you name it, you know. Uh, so, why attach myself inside sure. a box of just one thing? So, uh, that's
0: I'm sure you've seen thousands, you know, by the wayside, yeah, over the years, like many, many, many. People you play, played with on stage and perhaps just personal,
1: uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's there's every choice you make, there's always going to be a consequence to that choice that you made, and if you don't like that consequence, then it's your choice to make another choice, yeah. There's always which gonna, leads to a different consequence, so
0: it's uh, the ripple effect. There's always going to well, be some sort of it's
1: called life, and, yeah, and you know, uh. You can't blame anybody for their choices because that's their set of choices and their set of consequences. And the thing about that is that people make their choices based off of somebody else's consequences, which is totally screwed up. Right. Because, uh, you
0: know. But if you're going to put a needle in your arm, I mean, you should probably realize that that's not going to go so well.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Somewhat, definitely lighter subject, <laughs> I want to talk <laughs> about. I've read that one of your influences that you really liked was Zappa, Frank Zappa, and just tell me a little bit what struck you about Zappa. I
1: I only met him briefly a couple times and jammed with him a couple times in a rehearsal space, Uh, but I I met him back in 68, 69, I believe, uh, through George Duke, because George Duke played all kinds of you know, outside of Zappa's band, he was also a great jazz musician. Right, too. right. And he introduced me to Zappa in L.A., who was out there doing a session, I believe. He said, this is Ike Stubblefield, and second thing out of Frank's mouth was Icky the Lethal Bloods. And I didn't know what, what the hell was that? Yeah, well, <laughs> George was like, Dookie was kind of like, oh, Ike Stubblefield. But he knew, he knew Frank, so. Right. Uh, and I didn't think about it any more than that. And I actually went off to the site and spelt my name and put it up to the mirror. And it said Icky the Lethal Butts, looking at it through the mirror. Right. So he said my name backwards, <laughs> like within <laughs> a hundredth of a second after I was introduced it's, to
0: him. He immediately just like yeah, that. Yeah, I was like, I I- I mean, Icky
1: the Lethal Butts.
0: Now that's kind of Colonel Bruce. Bruce, like Bruce. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, Bruce is ex, yeah.
0: It's sort of, uh, he, he was sort of out of this world. And he, I mean, his music was amazing to me. And he was a composer, rock.
1: Well, well, well yeah, I, I was listening to the Mothers and stuff, you know, uh, a lot during my Motown days and everything else. I, I was one of the, I'd go from classical music at home right. <laughs> to Prince Zappa. <laughs>
0: Totally different. Well, no, not but, really. But, but yeah, also... It, everything's... in Every there. time I listen to each one, there That's was true.
1: something I hadn't heard or missed. The, uh, so I was really drawn to just the ingredients of not just the musicians that he put together to, to create all those flavors. Right. I go back into right. cook, cooking again. And uh, uh, it's a great cook. I mean, just baker and everything as far as ingredients goes yeah so uh
0: in actuality if you think about it now after uh i said that a lot of his music you can you can sort of see jazz and, and sense it and become yeah, a lot uh, of his uh tracks
1: and a lot of humor as well
0: oh he's very satirical Oh and, yeah, yeah yeah and that's kind of why i made the link about because he was he, he just had a very unique sense of humor
1: well he's, he was also as a person very direct. Straight shooter. Straight shooter and crap. bullshit from anybody. Right, right. right. right, right. And let you know straight away if he felt that's yeah. And uh so, And he
0: was he did all that being sober, like that's just who he was. Right. Exactly. Being bold and direct. Yeah, yeah. The the most psychedelic thing, because I've read he never really did drugs, but he purposefully kept himself up for seven days just to start to see what it would do and hallucinate. Well, well, it
1: was the same thing as naturally, you know. Yeah. Uh, as far as mentally getting, you know, this clear head of being in control of being free. Right. And that's the ticket. You, you can be free and take drugs or, and, and have no idea. <laughs> right. Right. What the what, hell what's just like, happened? Right. And all that stuff. If you're in control of it, then you can act normal and still go out there. And Steve Jobs did acid. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lots I mean, of people. I mean, lots of major, like genius type folks Yeah, did all kinds of things like that, but they were in control of how to use it. They didn't do it for party. It's set in, <clears throat>
0: excuse me, it's set in setting, as I say, you know. Yeah, right, right. In regards to kind of the, the jam band scene these days, I mean, you played with Derek Trucks, Susan Tedeschi. You're good friends with them, correct?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the whole Trucks family, actually. Dwayne, when he was, I guess, in uh, ready to graduate high school, uh, I had Bernard Purdy come down a couple times and, uh, I asked Wayne, uh, I said, because he was coming over to Atlanta a lot, r- right when he was in, getting ready for this high school. And, and I, I told Chris, his dad, I said, well, if he graduates, I'll give him a uh, graduation gift. And so he did. And I had Bernard Purdy come down to Atlanta and gave him a one-on-one drum lesson nice. for two hours. And he videotaped it.
0: And uh it. Uh, this was for he was 18. How old was he when this happened? Uh, yeah, teenager,
1: yeah. I mean, he's not that old now, he's he's, the,
0: he's yeah, no, he's still young. I was, yeah, well,
1: I, I guess whatever age you graduate high school, for, <laughs> right? Uh, and he never forgot that it was like real, he was so excited about it, but you know, uh, Colonel Bruce you know, really helped him a lot as well. It was Bruce's band, uh, but he's already naturally talented. Right. Yeah, uh, it was, <clears throat> I think between Bruce and I and a few other people who were just basically trying to get more information, colors and shapes. Sure. And, and you, know, it, you know, Dwayne was already into, you know, jazz. Yeah, his style and
0: his feel was already there. Yeah,
1: it's good kid.
0: Yeah, no, I think he's a great drummer for sure. Um, he's with Panic now, right? of course. Yeah, yeah, he's done an amazing job since he's joined he joined the end of 2013.
1: Uh, yeah, him and Jimmy uh, play well together, very
0: well. Uh, so you know, obviously, you're friends with Jimmy Herring. Oh well,
1: yeah, I'm on all of his solo records,
0: which I've listened to, or you played before we started this. They're they're pretty amazing. I mean. It's just cool to, it's very interesting how you and Jimmy can play all sorts of different types of, it's not just widespread panic or Jimmy's not boxed in, you're not boxed into one specific type of or genre of music and I've always thought that was an amazing talent and and I'd love to listen to it. It's fun. It's good stuff. (laughs) And then, of course, one of your, uh, how many, you said, how many times you played with Mule?
1: Oh, gosh, I can't remember. Uh, They're going to be here in October. I'm going to be with them as well. But I've I've caught up with them in uh, in the Christmas Jam and the Pre-Jam. Played with them in Austin, Texas. Of course, Georgia Theater. Uh, when I lived in Athens every time they came there. Yeah,
0: I actually saw you <coughs> for their 20th anniversary there. Marcus uh, King was up there. Oh, right,
1: right. I remember Marcus <laughs> back in, when I played Greenville. He used to come and sit in with, with the band.
0: How uh, old was he at that point?
1: I think he was probably about 16, 15 maybe. Something like that. I can't remember.
0: So another one that you met at a young age, like did you meet Derek
1: Trucks uh, as uh, well? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, he was. Yeah, he he got in the scene, of course, when he was like twelve.
1: Uh, sure, of course, yeah.
0: He was virtuoso. Uh, and then, how long have you? I mean, did you know Warren Haynes? How did you get start playing with the uh, Mule? Uh,
1: I think it was actually at a festival. I think it was uh, with the Cold Talkers. Uh, they were playing on another stage or something. And uh, I went backstage with Bruce, Colonel Bruce, to a government meal. And I met Warren then, but I didn't actually play that, that show or sit in. Right. Uh, and I met Danny, and Danny and I knew a lot of the same people up, up in New York from back in the day. So Danny and I kind of connected. <coughs> you and Danny Lewis? Yeah, Danny Lewis. And I think it was Georgia Theater. Uh, I went over, and they called Actually, it wasn't. It wasn't uh, government meal at that time. Uh, it was Warren's warning band, band, band right with Terrence Higgins from New Orleans on drums, which I played with all the time. So I think that was the first time I played with Warren without meal. I've always been a guest with them any time I'm around. So yeah. So it's, uh, it's one of my favorite bands.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one of my The too? meal, yeah. So as I think, I
1: think basically I like them a lot because you never know what they're gonna play. They're so unpredictable.
0: Um, I saw go? them last week. Yeah. They were playing Pink, like covered Pink Floyd. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The BB King, um, you just yeah. yeah, yeah, and Van Morrison. And, and they covered and, Van Morrison, and that's kind of
1: how how I think so.
0: Right. Well, as far as coming up, where are your shows? For instance, uh, November. You mentioned you're going to be in the tabernacle for uh, Uh, for Mule. Mule, yeah. Late Uh, October.
1: Yeah, 27th, I believe. And, uh, oh, I just got locked into uh, New Year's Eve in Asheville, North Carolina, with Larry Keel. Larry Keel, nice. Yeah, and... uh, uh, I'm not sure who else is on that festival thing. Uh, I think the first set's a bluegrass, and then uh, uh, I'm playing the second set. Uh, Jeff Sipes on drums on that, and a few other people. Right, but that's gonna be fun. It's Gonna be cold, but it'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> it'll definitely be up cold the mountains in New- January. Right, uh, and you know, headlining the uh, kind of Atlanta making. This week, uh, uh, down to, uh, Tampa, Florida next month. And things still come around. I, I don't like playing out too often. Right. Um, working on a couple of new CDs, uh,
0: who's so playing with it's... you on those or collaborating? Well, who are you collaborating with?
1: Well, uh, one's going to be a solo CD, uh, and uh, I think Warren's going to play on a couple of tracks. Uh, I have a CD that I started years ago. It's an Ike's double and in friend city and uh, I think all the tracks are done. On uh, it's called Georgia Line. It's with uh, Derek Trucks on guitar. Uh, that's on that CD, and uh, just product. You we know, got looking at a. Uh, Couple scripts right now for a movie, put songs in.
0: Really? Yeah. So, And you've done that in the past. Oh, yeah. 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 For TV shows and yeah, uh, movies.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've gotten Grammys. Most of my Grammys are from that.
0: How many Grammys do you have?
1: Uh, I was over the first one, but six. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have six,
1: but they're all from from uh, like Georgia or Marotta, uh, um, uh from film stuff. Right, uh, mostly stuff from uh, out in California. Uh, did all the music for Top one won an award. Or something really wasn't that hard. Top Gun was with George Romero. You most, did that? You... Uh, I played keys on most
0: of that. Oh wow! Yeah, it's a fun fact.
1: Uh, yeah, so I got an actual Grammy for that. They won an Oscar as well But uh I didn't get an Oscar for it. Cause you didn't it, it, get one? I didn't go that far into the, the mix. Come on. But I, I <laughs> did get three three of the Grammys for films, getting songs, and movies. Which were. Performing.
0: You, what were the other three that you were.
1: Oh, gosh. One uh, was the documentary. Uh, I don't remember titles. You know, like I said, after the first one, they're all. Right. They're all like, okay, another plaque. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm. Not, I don't like to be in the public eye. Yeah, that goes back yeah, to uh, what you were saying yeah, earlier. Uh, even you know, as a kid, and when I start getting in that, I disappear. I switch over and do jazz or right or yeah. You know, it, it's just I have to thing about uh, being normal. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, I mean, I got. Tons of people out there that are very good at what they do uh, that I'm not good at, and that's the whole trick of staying consistent. Sure, uh, as to know what you're not good at, and you know,
0: know your strengths and yeah, and stick, yeah. stick with it. That,
1: that way, you don't have to jeopardize your integrity. Yeah, if it's something that you don't like doing or feel ashamed to do, there's other people out there that know. Right, <laughs> and that's what they're about.
0: Well, you um, just mentioned integrity. Uh, what's your take on the how the music industry and whether here locally where you are, live in Atlanta or main well, scene well, or even further the entire industry? How do you feel well, about it?
1: Well, it's a business, and business—it's all about product, and product changes in some states the same. You know, it's no different than anything else. You know, people. You know, get excited about something, and then they get bored with it, and then something else comes out. Moves on to the yeah, next thing. right. Just another and, fad.
0: Yeah, and,
1: you know, uh, so there's no, you know, right or wrong uh, way of enjoying yourself. If you like, it's not for everybody. If somebody likes this, you
0: know, uh, and they don't like that. Well, that's also the like of that. That too. Yeah,
1: of course. If everything was the same, then it would be really boring. Life would
0: be boring as hell. Right. Why well, do so, it? Whether I
1: personally like things, of course, there's some stuff that's not part of my makeup. Sure. Or don't understand. You know, and I'm from the older school, too. So sometimes it's pretty challenging to, to relate to common sense not being there.
0: With the younger generations? Uh,
1: well, even though. Or just in general. The older generation <laughs> as well. I mean, them not understanding that it is a different time.
0: Sure, sure. You
1: know? Uh, I mean, I know musicians and professional people in the business that you know they won't touch a, a cell phone or email or anything like that, and then they wonder why
0: why they're not getting gigs they're, or they're getting not, the yeah,
1: or that nobody's in control because it's sure. And then there's younger kids that don't even know what dollar, what president's on a dollar bill, or Sound even it. or even worse. Like who's the president, or or what's the capital of own the, state, or whatever? Yeah, right, like, exactly. There's a lot of without having to Google it. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, do you think that that's going to affect the industry in a very harmful way, or do you well, think it'll just sort of work well, itself the, the, out?
1: The industry as as a whole has uh, hasn't found its way out of a lot of stuff yet. I mean, yeah, it's music business the way it used to be is way gone
0: and what I, what way well
1: it's you know no more record stores there's no more mm-hmm. everything's done uh, nobody really buys whole record albums anymore or cds you know the, everything's like
0: some people buy vinyl but yeah uh, yeah but that's because it's of, sort of nostalgic or
1: uh, yeah yeah
0: yeah
1: but yeah
0: or sounds good well, but yeah i know what you're the saying
1: technology is kind of making I mean, things change a lot, but but the music industry as itself it's kind of dug its own grave, so to
0: speak. Do you think it's things like Spotify? What are your thoughts on stuff like well, that? Well, even
1: before the internet stuff, it was it was on its you know, it was just really the uh, self-destruct uh, just from this bad business and greed, greed, greed yeah, and of course, stuff like that, and and it really got hit in the face when. Uh, the internet stuff came into play with selling, you know, buying stuff offline. Kind of start when, you know, not just the music, but like video and tapes. You remember back when you could get a, a movie before it even released from Japan
0: on oh, the yeah. internet? And that was a like big deal. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and then it
1: starts spreading into other things, you sure. know, and CDs and songs and. Publishing and all kinds of stuff like that. So uh, it's it's just it's still re- revolving from from that, and of course a lot of people went in, in, independent because of technology. As far as having their own studios and things like that,
0: you know. You think it's, it's definitely a point of no return?
1: Uh, no, it's just, just evolving. Or it's, just it's just fluid. It's just, everybody's evol- gonna, it's just yeah. evolving, right? Like it did before. There's only. Four tracks and eight tracks right yeah right i mean everything we ever heard all the way up to 65 was on four tracks or eight tracks no, no digital so it's just in a sense of uh, evolving into whatever it's going to be just like a human race
0: yeah well i did read reading your bio one last thing i did want to talk to you about or sparked my interest was uh quincy jones yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, tell me a little bit about that. You composed some, was it television, movies?
1: Uh, I met Quincy through an old friend of mine. uh it was like my stepdad-ish. Uh, in Palm Springs, Harold Robbins, who wrote the, the Betsy cover baggers, stuff like that. Uh, and Harold kind of helped Quincy when he was in his struggling days back in the early 50s. So he introduced me to Quincy, um, I called over the phone, and Quincy said uh, we were over in L.A., which, you know, was only an hour and a half away, I used to go in for sessions anyway, <clears throat> he said, stop by, you can have a chat. Right. And all this was because of Harold, you know, you know he kind of helped him out in, over the years, and they were pretty close in the relationship. And uh, so I, I went over to the Quincy studio, and he's in a session. He said, "Come on in, you know." And I just watched and listened to what he was doing, and and uh, he said all the things to me that I kind of grew up knowing about. You know, you can't learn unless you listen Feel it or try. Or, yeah, yeah. Can't learn anything by talking. You learn by listening, and uh, just this placement with the way he produced and things like that. So we hung out quite a bit in the studio, jammed a little bit, did some jazz stuff. He showed me some chords. Oh, nice. uh, Some other fingering ways of doing stuff. Quincy helped me with uh, the string arrangement on a song off my two CDs ago, uh, Old Souls on New Shoes. And the song was uh, called Love Dance. Uh, It's been covered by a million people. I think Nancy Wilson did a version so I, I thought, well, you know, this is a perfect song for Quincy because uh, I want that kind of lush, soulful, but still cleverly uh, arranged. Uh, right. What Quincy does, he's famous for that. It being a, a cover song that everybody's pretty much familiar with in the jazz scene. Uh, so I asked him to, if he had time to do that, and he sent it back like two days later.
0: Yeah, he apparently has an amazing work, and, I think, just yeah, driven. Yeah.
1: And so it uh worked out great. It's got that fancy touch to it. Oh
0: yeah. Well that's that's amazing. You truly have played all with all types of great musicians and had a pretty uh fun life.
1: Well, yeah, it's it's still going. I I've, Oh yeah. <laughs> well, let's hope just, so, right? Like, like, like I say, I, I'm kinda always excited about just different ingredients and i never have that concept of good or bad players they're all different you know uh just because they're famous or i've been playing a thousand years uh they just do what they do and it's like ingredients that's like salt pepper flour eggs sure you know you can do quite a bit with and it's pretty generic but it's also exciting to hear somebody that's hasn't been playing that long kids and just the whole imagery and the way you know they're not tainted with having to be a product and stay consistent with what they're known for right so that never ends as far as learning and uh and enjoying what i do when i have that many palettes. for sure
0: well listen i can't thank you enough uh for welcoming me into your uh, home studio and taking the time to talk about all the great things and interesting things anybody that hasn't seen or heard uh ike play please do so because he's uh he's amazing and uh he's a great guy so mike i can't thank you enough
1: well thank you tom for having me i you know i have a pretty busy, busy slate and uh When I heard you wanted to do this, I thought it was brilliant timing.
0: Yeah. As I say, timing's everything, right?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) All right, Ike. Well, thank you again.
1: Thank you, Tom.